Welcome to the Verified Athletics Podcast. At verifiedathletics.com, we got a new article coming out that showed the differences between the different divisions. I learned quite a bit, you know, helping to write the article. So there's great information for someone that knows nothing about the differences, but even for experts to learn a little bit more. Plus, it's all free. So go to verifiedathletics.com to check it out. Our guest today is Mike Neal. Mike played football at JUCO in uh, Southern California called Grossmont College before playing 1AA, which is now FCS, at Missouri State. And uh, he's now the head coach at Whittier College in LA, which taken over a program that has not won a game in a while. Um, but Mike himself has really only won one game in three seasons there. So um, I still believe that he'll turn it around, and those results show how hard of a job that that actually is. So um, I think you'll enjoy the podcast. Here it is. All right, we got Mike Neal on the podcast. Welcome. How are you? Doing great, Nate. Thanks for having me today. So uh, Mike is currently the head coach at a Division three school in Los Angeles or just outside of Los Angeles, Whittier College. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at now and how you got there? Yeah, so Whittier College, we're, as you said, a Division three school. We play in the Skyac, which is uh, made up of eight teams out here in Southern California, all in LA and Orange County, and some great academic institutions and have a great history of football as well. Most of us have been playing football for over 100 years. So a great combination of obviously the geographical advantage being here in Southern California, but top-notch education and some really competitive football as well. And got here after uh, being prior to here being at uh, Albright College out there where you and I met back in 2007 and excited to be back here in Southern California at a great place. And that's where you're from too, Southern California, right? Yes, I was born and raised in San Diego, and uh, obviously coaching takes you wherever, so you can't always control where you're at, but certainly glad to be back here, and here we are in, in December, and uh, we got 70 degrees and sunny outside. Is that, uh, is that a part of the recruiting pitch? You get a lot of guys that are not from California, and that's a pull for them, or is it really mostly just recruiting guys locally anyway? We stay pretty local, and uh, we primarily focus on the state of California. We'll get into southern Nevada. And then we'll also get out into Western um, Arizona as well. We're, we're branching out a little bit into Texas and Hawaii this year, as well as the Pacific Northwest, getting up to Oregon and Washington. But I think certainly you know, if there's a, a place and certainly weather's never a, a, a number one reason for people to choose a school, I would hope. But it, it's definitely a, a good addition. No doubt about it. And how do you decide what areas you're going to recruit? How does how do you come to that decision? Yeah, so California, obviously, everywhere in the country is recruiting Southern California. So it's our backyard, so to speak. And certainly the focus for us is keeping guys here in Southern California. A lot of great talent, obviously. And something as well from a financial situation, being a Division three school that obviously cannot offer athletic scholarships. We have the California State Grant here as well. So California residents can get an additional, I don't know what the exact number will be for this upcoming year, but it's going to be around nine, $9,000 to $9,500 this year uh, for going to school in the state, which is a pretty big chunk of change that certainly helps out with the financial portion of things. Yeah, and how much does Whittier cost for, for, your, for your athletes? Total ticket, uh, right about $63,000. That's room board, tuition fees, everything it costs to, to be a student here. So that probably impacts who you're recruiting, I would imagine, then. Yeah, it does. Now, that being said, guys can get a big chunk of change taken right off the top academically. That's the easiest way for them, regardless of what their need may be, for them to get uh, a big chunk of the finance taken off is to do the job academically. 
And so that's really a big focus for us is finding those guys who are academically qualified to, to be a student here and, and earn a degree in four years. Yeah, and I think a lot of athletes don't realize that is, I think what, you, what I'm hearing you say is if they're rich, like then then that gives you a lot of possibilities, right? Because then the cost thing isn't isn't a deal breaker. But otherwise, if they don't have, even if you could get someone into school, if they don't have good enough grades to get serious academic scholarship money, you probably don't even waste your time starting to recruit them. Absolutely. No, you're, you're spot on with that because it it's something where it, the cost of living out here is obviously a little bit more than, than many parts of the country as well, depending on where someone's from. But so even a family that on paper is making a, a good income, it is not enough perhaps for them to, to go to college and certainly pay what the cost of tuition is at a number of colleges. So uh, the, the academically qualified candidate and prospect is huge for us. And what's like the... What's near the minimum of like an athlete that you could get into school um, regardless of the money, like take the money part out of it? What's like, where's like the bottom of the line there? The, the average incoming freshman here at Whittier has a 3.5 GPA. Uh, we're, we'll probably dip down as low as a 3.2 for a guy, but he, he's got to be a, a dude at that point because that, that's kind of the, the lowest end that we can get a guy in with. Okay. And then what does it take? to get a scholarship or to get like an academic scholarship? Yes. So anywhere above that 3.2 or above, he'll be able to qualify for some amount of academic merit-based scholarship the majority of the time. Obviously, I don't work in the admissions office, so I can't control that. But uh, that being said, it's something where those guys are usually getting some amount of money. And certainly the higher the, his GPA is, the more money he qualifies for. Right. And I, you can tell me how it is at Whittier. But from what I remember, it's like it could be like over the course of four years, $100,000 or more difference between someone that's, say, close to a 4.0 and someone that is closer to a 3.0, it could really be that much of a difference. Oh, absolutely. Our top scholarship is over $30,000, and they're still setting the, the number right now, but I, I believe it's going to be somewhere around the $31,000, $32,000 per year scholarship, merit-based, and, and then uh, the lowest is $6,000. So huge difference right there. Yeah, I think like there's no part-time job that could justify the diff the amount of time that you're going to spend on that. If you just spent that time as a student athlete on getting better grades, the amount of money that you would make from that would, would crush your your minimum wage waitress waitress or a waitering job or whatever it is that you're doing working at oh, a absolutely. cold zone. <laughs> yeah, delivering pizza, you got it. So, well cool. And um so you've been out at Whittier for 3 years now. Correct. And I know the situation there, but I feel like it'd be good to, for you to tell me what you think it's like there in the football program and the history, what you're walking into, how things are going. Sure. Well, Whittier College, we've been playing football for 109 seasons now and great history, a lot of tradition, a lot of success. We actually have 26 conference championships in the Sky that we play in, a lot of proud alums who've achieved a lot of great things on the field and more importantly off the field once they left here. However, uh, we haven't had a great deal of success on the football field in recent years, and obviously that's why a change was made, and I was brought here three years ago almost exactly right now. And uh, as it was, really inherited a program that was just kind of in need of a, a whole culture change. So we came on board and uh, got after it and, and inherited a pretty small roster and uh, some guys that were great guys, but not necessarily had been subjected to what a, a typical college football routine was with a lot of structure. And, and so we had to really just implement and, and get everything rolling the way we wanted it. And I think we're, we're in a good place now to turn the corner and, and get things going. And I would think that um, if 
when you're coming in and you're bringing in a new way of doing things, I would think that you probably get a mixed reaction from different players. There's probably some players that are not, you know, it's maybe not what they signed up for. They signed up for the program that they were recruited into and that's what they were expecting. And, And there's probably like another group of players that they are tired of losing and wanting change and willing to listen to someone with some new ideas because the, whatever the old ideas are don't seem to be working. Uh, is that how you experience it? Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Most of the guys when I got here fell into one of those two extremes. There are a couple who were just in the middle, I'd say, who you know, just were good with whatever. But uh, I think there were certainly some guys who were, were just tired of the way things had been going, the losing and wanting to get after it, whether it be from developing themselves as people, as students, or as athletes, and embrace the change. And then, uh, like you said, there were some guys who they're like, man, I I just like showing up and and playing the games on Saturday. I was perfectly happy the way things were. And so we actually trimmed uh, the roster quite a bit that first spring when we got here, and and really, we didn't cut anyone. It it was all just guys who weren't fully committed to the college football student-athlete process. Right. They wanted they wanted the thing that they had. Right. Yes. Probably to, to some level. And and, uh, you know, they weren't ready for the change. And I think it's probably best that, that they part ways. Now, do those those guys, do they mostly stay at school or do they find another program that fit them? Uh, the majority, I would say, stayed at school here. I, obviously, I, I don't keep in touch with those guys once they, they leave the program. But uh, I see some of them around campus still. And And how quick is that? Like you come in and you say, this is the new way we're going to do things. Is it someone hears that and they're like, I'm out, I'm not interested? Or is it more so that they're they're kind of willing to try it and then when they realize, oh, that's what it feels like to actually work at the level that it takes to compete at the college level, then uh, that's when it sinks in and they're like, just not interested. Yeah, it wasn't like immediate, say, after the first meeting where I outlined what we were going to implement and, and how we were going to change things. And I think everyone's on board until they're not. Yeah, it, it sounds really good. And everyone says, yeah, I can do that. This is going to be great. And then it's the getting up every morning and getting to the weight training for the first time four days a week, early morning, and then implementing all the other things that we do from a, a, a personal development in addition to, of course, the spring practice structure. And all of a sudden it just dwindled uh, as the semester went on here, our first spring. So how many athletes did you start with when you came in and how many did you have by the how many did you have returning for the start of actual camp the next year? Yeah, when I got here, I'd say first meeting, one of the first things I did was meet with each player individually. We were in about the mid-40s, if I remember correctly, the numbers right in front of me. And then by the end of that spring, we were down to uh, 29. And uh, then, of course, we were recruiting as soon as we got here as well. And and uh, shortened recruiting season for us, obviously, coming in and, and took over really right around Christmas of 2015 for the the class of 2016 there. So we we were behind a little bit from a timing standpoint, but we're still pieced together a pretty good class guys who are our current senior uh, juniors, rising seniors for us right now. But uh, we were able to get, I think it was around 40. So we came into camp with, with somewhere around 65 guys that, uh, that first fall of 2016. Okay. And for people that don't know, that's probably about 40 less than, most of the other Division three schools. Does your conference have any sort of limits, or what, what are you guys normally seeing on across the sideline when you're playing against the other teams in your conference? 
There aren't any limits. Now, our conference is, is kind of twofold. We have some schools, I'd say about half the schools are somewhere around that 60 to 75 roster spot. And then about half of the schools are somewhere over 100, probably 100 to 125. So it's kind of some teams that, that have the, the large rosters, the triple digits, and, and some that are around the 60 to 75. What do you think drives those differences between those two sets of schools? I, I think some of it is admissions-based, some of it's school-based as well, as far as the population of the school. Um, and as I said, some schools are perhaps a little more selective than others academically as far as how many freshmen they're allowing into campus that year. And so that turns to a smaller number for that football program as well. And uh, do you think there's a relationship between the schools that have more players on the team and the ones that sit at the top of the standings at the end of the season? You know what? It's an interesting question because uh, I think within our conference and, and you've had uh, different champions almost every year here. And certainly the three seasons I've been here, we've had three different conference champions. And uh, a couple of the teams that have won have been those teams at around the 100 mark or over. And then this year we actually had a champion that was, like us from a roster standpoint, much lower. And uh, there's been a, a lot of turnaround within the, the conference, which is exciting from a coaching standpoint. Teams that have truly gone from worst to first or somewhere in the middle and and uh, won the championship the next year. So it's something that I think anyone can do in our conference. It's a little bit unique. Yeah, that's, uh, that is definitely different. It's it's certainly different than what you see. You, you don't expect Alabama to be last place in the SEC next year. Right. So. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, no, I, that, that makes total sense. And I find a lot of Division three schools, they're kind of divided up into two categories one are are schools that football is is like a driver for admissions and admissions wants more football players and other division three schools and i think a lot less of them but there are still some that are wanting to put the brakes on the football team they want to have a football team for whatever reason you know for the school probably because of alumni and, and other things um but admissions is like capping you at a certain number of athletes per year because you know, they, they only have so many spots. Where First of all, like, is that how you see it? And then second, where do you guys stand on that spectrum? Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. Nate. You do have some of those schools that they're just bringing as many guys as you possibly can and bring in 60, 70, 80, 90 guys, and, and we'll take them all. And that's perhaps why some schools have football or some other sports like lacrosse, which are a lot of times you get your Division three schools, private, smaller schools, and it's tough for them sometimes to get that male enrollment. So they add football, they add lacrosse, and they think, hey, that's going to add 30, 40, 50 guys a year, whatever it may be. Um, and then you have those ones, like you said, that, that they're just academically, hey, look, we have football. That's great. The alums like it. We know it adds value to our campus, and uh, we're only going to be able to admit this many, though, because of how competitive we are academically. I'd say we're kind of somewhere in the middle where certainly our admissions office and our school, we're a little unique. We're the smallest population in our, our conference. We're around 1,700 students is kind of our max capacity. Uh, that being said, we have 22 NCAA sports, and so about one out of three students here are student-athletes. So certainly our campus, our student body, our administration, our admissions office all value athletics for not only what it adds to the school culture, but uh, from an admissions standpoint as well, certainly a big tool to help attract people here, but also very selective as far as who we admit. Is is that a selling point for, for you guys on the recruiting trail with, with like saying that 
one out of every three athletes or students as an athlete that like you're kind of in this student athlete culture. I mean, I imagine that that drives a lot of what it's like to be on campus. Yeah, I, I think it's very helpful because you know that you're going to be around a lot of people, both male and female, who have similar interests, who are excited about not just going to school and getting a great education, but about the athletic piece of it. And so you have, uh, no matter who your roommate is or who's next door to you in the dorms or whatever else, there's a good chance they're an athlete. They understand and respect what you're going through each week academically and athletically and all the demands that you have that some of those general population students don't have. And I want to go back to trying to turn a program around, which has been been your mission since you've been there. And, you know, you said, like, we're going to change. You walked in, you say, we're going to change the way things are. This is the new way of doing things. This is going to get us to where we want to be. And you get some guys dropping out. You get some guys that are buying in and pushing on it. And then, you you know, your first season, I know you guys didn't win a game, right? Right. And then, and then you, And then, like, you know, you haven't had that that push of success is is that is it become harder and harder to maintain the message that says trust me follow me this is the way to do it we will get there you know you know it's 19 year old kids like it's hard to keep them believing so like tell me about that is that a struggle how do you work through that absolutely yeah it's something that we're we're certainly aware of because obviously everyone's goal is to be 1-0 and on any given Saturday, right? And, and so uh, whether you're 1-0 or 0-1 or that day, you want to wake up the next day, refresh it, and get after it the next week. But certainly you got to be aware of a message becoming stale if the results aren't there because ultimately that's what we're all judged on and what everyone wants to have happen. So it's something I think really starts with surround yourself with the right people, both from a coaching staff as well as a player standpoint and recruiting the right people who will continue to get after it regardless of what it is, because as you know, winning is great. However, it can also oftentimes cover up some stuff uh, when, when we've all been involved in, in as many games as we've been in, that uh, you win some games that you come away feeling bad about and you lose some games where you say, you know what, we made some progress when you get the result we wanted. So it's about finding the right guys. And I, I think that's something that, that we've really been honing in on here. And how do you, um, how would you describe, you said finding the right guys, how, how would you describe those right guys? What are they like? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and, and that's something I think every school that you're at, you, you have to kind of find the guy who's not just a right fit for you from a football standpoint, but also the right fit for the school, because it's different. Every, every school has uh, their own requirements and, and has their own things that kind of students who fit in best and culturally who fits in best and different settings, all that stuff that, that goes completely separate from the football piece of it, so for us, we're looking for guys, like I said, uh, are not only excited about getting a four-year degree, but want to earn it here at Whittier. We're looking for guys, primarily our number one thing we're looking for is character. Guys who are going to do the right thing and get after it all the time, kind of help develop that leadership within the locker room. Because uh, certainly we spend a lot of time with our guys, obviously, as all coaches do, but we're not going to be around them 24 hours a day when they're at the lunch hall, when they're down in the weight room, when, they, when they're in the locker room, or, or when they're hanging out on the weekends. So we, we want guys who are going to continue to be great leaders, not just when we see them at practice or, or in the meeting room, but uh, in everything that they do, and, and guys who honor a commitment. And we're looking for guys who want to make a four-year commitment to Whittier College. As you know, it, it takes a, a rare type of young man who is going to show up freshman year and finish playing all four years of college football. 
it's an exception rather than the norm. So a four-year commitment means a lot to us. It's something we're very clear about in the recruiting process. And when you find guys who are academically qualified, uh, who have the character to stick with all the obstacles and hurdles that are no doubt going to present themselves every day, every year during their four years here as a student athlete, that those are the guys we get excited about. Those are our kind of guys, the guys who are going to be successful both on and off the field for us. And I've, I've worked at some schools that are higher academic schools and some schools that are not as high. Um, this sounds like Whittier sounds like you're getting higher academic guys. Um, I found that at those schools, you got less knuckleheads, <laughs> um, if that's what you want to call them, like guys that are just headaches, getting into trouble. Uh, you know, you're always going to have that. I mean, it's it's 100 college kids, right? They get into trouble, especially some percentage of them. So like, it's not like you get none, but you get less of them and the ways in which they're getting in trouble seem to be less and less. Is, is that your experience like compared to other places that you've coached? Yeah, it's been outstanding. I have to say I've had so few off-field incidents that I've had to address, whether it be even minor, major, anything in between. It's been, you can count them on one hand in the three years I've been here. So uh, again, it starts with people and uh, we've had some great young men here and, and uh, certainly I, I'm a big believer. Something we talk about a lot is how you do anything is how you do everything. So that guy who's doing a great job in the classroom, he's doing a great job on the field from a work ethic standpoint. He's doing a great job in life around the community, around the campus. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot with our guys is you don't just where do you find the guy who is doing a great job academically? But then he, he's just a, a knucklehead off the field or out of the classroom because you know, he takes that same approach to everything that he does. So that uh, that's absolutely right. It's a great point. And what is what does an athlete need to do to to get on your guys radar and for them to get recruited by you guys? Yeah, so we have a, a number of ways. It'll start in the, in the spring of that recruit's junior year. Uh, we'll start reaching out to coaches, doing some research on on who are guys who should be on our list. And then we start inviting guys. We, we hold a couple camps over the summer as well. And the nice thing is being where we're at, like I said, our primary recruiting base is here in Southern California. Uh, we, we do go up to Northern California as well, but then some of the neighboring states, whether it's Pacific Northwest, Nevada, Arizona, and so we get some guys on campus here and we've had a, a great deal of success with some camps here that we've started the past couple of years and getting a chance to see some of these guys. And, and then, of course, uh, as we go through the season, we, we keep tabs. Each coach on our staff has roughly 100 to 150 schools that, that he's responsible for. So we keep tabs of guys throughout that and uh, throughout that fall of their senior year and certainly get some film from guys and uh play, of course, email and, and phone tag with some of the, the high school coaches and who are guys who should be on our radar. And, and then we hit the road and, and meet those guys in, in person, which is where we're at right now here in December. And so you would say the primary way that you're going to find out about an athlete is through their high school coach? Yes. Yep. Primarily through the coach or, or we bump into them at a camp. Okay. And you guys work other like division one camps to, to find guys. Is that typical for you? Yeah, well, we host several camps. We've uh, we've hosted one here with Boise State for the past two years. And then uh, last year we started hosting one with Arizona State as well. So you, you get a lot of uh, satellite camps. Again, everyone's recruiting Southern California. Right. So there, there's no shortage of Division One schools that want to host uh, a camp in Southern California. And uh, with the new NCAA rules, they have to partner up with uh, an NCAA host site. And so uh, that's been a, a great tool for us. And um, 
So is is it hard to get those relationships? Because I imagine every school in your conference wants the Boise States and the Arizona States and whoever else to to ho- have them come to their school. Um, how does that work? Sure. Yeah. No. It. Uh, you're absolutely right. It literally every school in the West Coast and and many even going out to the Midwest are hosting camps out here. And I think most of the schools within our conference are partnered up with one, if not many schools that uh, they do camps with. And and I I think it really comes down to which school you're partnering up with, how they want to do it. Some schools have many camps, maybe a a shorter camp, just a couple hours and, and have those several times throughout the summer. Some have more of a, your typical four hour camp or so and just have one um, and yeah building those relationships it, it's just kind of you reach out to some schools or they reach out to you and and you, you find out what they're looking for and, and if you can make it work fortunately we have some great facilities here where uh, we have our football stadium which is obviously a turf field and then right next to it we have a, a grass field that has been our soccer field as well so plenty of field space that uh, we can utilize and, and a, a pretty good location. We're, we're in LA County, but we're right next to Orange County as well. Uh, we're just uh, about a five minute uh, down the road from being in Orange County. So uh, locationally, I think we're in a great spot as well. Not too far west, not too far east, not too far north or south. We're kind of right in the middle. I see. So it's just a matter of you like finding a school that, that you have what they need for their camp. Yes. Yep. And then, uh, of course, you always bump into maybe someone on our staff knows someone on some other staffs as well. Or you bump into some other coaches on the road through the recruiting process and they say, hey, look, we're looking at having a camp. And so you just kind of explore that and see if you can make it work. I see. So it usually goes the way of they reach out to you or is it or are you proactively seeking them out? Uh, primarily, it's been schools reaching out to us or through a mutual connection. OK, interesting. And um when you have the athletes come onto campus for camp, I imagine there's both going on, both two things going on. Number one, um, you're evaluating them. You're finding like guys that you think, you know, they might they might be there to see Boise State or Arizona State, but right. you're looking at them and you're like, this is not a Boise State guy, not an Arizona State guy. Maybe they're a Whittier guy. And right. you're finding out who those guys are, adding names to your list, guys that you want to recruit. There's some of that going on. And then I'm sure there's some of the other thing going on, which is this is your opportunity to get lots of good football players on campus to show them that Whittier College, probably like for some of them that it exists, right? And that we have football and we have a great staff and great facilities and all the other things. And so you're probably trying to do a little bit of a, a selling of your school to athletes when you have them on campus. Like you're, get, you're using the Boise State or Arizona State name to draw them in, knowing that a lot of those guys are probably Whittier College guys and you just, you know, you want to get them. So like, so I imagine both those things are going on. What is how would you like divide up the percentage breakdown of like how much it's the first thing versus the second thing? As far as like how many guys are there for the Division One schools versus us, you're saying or no more like um, when you're like approaching your strategy to having these events, yeah. is your focus heavily on the first thing I said, heavily on the second thing I said, or like basically like a little bit of both, or like how would you how would you describe it? Yeah, no, it's certainly great to get people because, like you said. It, a lot of people may not even know that we're out here at Whittier College playing football. So to get people on campus is huge. And um, obviously, we're not going to be recruiting everyone who comes to our camp, but certainly it gives us a a great amount of guys that that we can find out some information after seeing them run, grab them, talk with them. We have a chance to coach them one-on-one. So uh, our camps are, are, are pretty cool in that 
you get coached by, say, the Boise or Arizona State coaches, and then also by us as well. We're all coaching shoulder to shoulder, and it, it's a great way to, to find out how coachable a guy is, not just what he can move like, but how's he take to coaching. But I think it's extremely important, too, that even when um, if it's a guy who, say, one of the Division One schools are recruiting, when we go to campus to, to visit a, a prospect afterwards – uh, in the, the winter as we're doing right now to have even a guy who we're not recruiting who was at our camp and say hey man yeah, he was at our camp T tell him about our campus and now you can get that information from his buddy instead of just a coach who's pitching or selling or anything like that so it, it works out great having uh, guys on campus that, that we can then come back to on the road and have them be messengers about Whittier College having stepped foot on our campus yeah that's nice um What's the size of your typical recruiting class? Wow, it's been all over. So um, ideally, I, I think, and, and it's been a little bit of kind of an experiment as we got here. And, you know, my, my first thought is, as you know, when we were coaching together there, Nate, we were bringing in some large classes all the time. Yes. And so uh, being with our roster as small as it was when I got here, that was kind of my first response and, and uh, my method of going about it. So we, we brought in a pretty large class a year ago, which was our first full recruiting class, the class of 2017. And uh, it didn't exactly pan out from a retention standpoint. And I, I think a lot of times because we were wanting to get some bodies onto the team and, and of course, guys who could help us athletically and and uh, it wasn't guys who were fully committed. And we found that out kind of the hard way. And so this past year, we were much more selective. We brought in a much smaller class and uh, still didn't get, ideally, I'd love to have that large roster, right? But we're going to build this thing a little slower than perhaps what I had planned when I got here, but build it the right way with the right people now. So I think a good class for us is right around that 35 to 40 range. Okay. And of those 35 or 40, what percentage of them or how many of them either way uh did you first discover at a camp at Whittier right you didn't even know who they were until they came to Whittier right so I would say uh out of last year's class specifically that was the year that we had uh, both camps rolling so our, our biggest camp year we had three camps total and um I would say that we we probably wound up with about five or six guys from uh from the camp Okay. Cause and, like, and there, there were many other, I'd say there were probably maybe about 15 that we had actually visit us. Okay. Cause I, I do think that, um, it's interesting how that evolves. And I think that that's not that common at a lot of division three schools where mm -hmm. that's where they're discovering their athletes. Um, uh, but it obviously is working that way for some. So I, I've always, I've often advised athletes that division three schools and division two schools are great to go to camps if you want coaching if you want um to actually like if you think that you might be interested in that school it's a great way to actually experience it in a way that what you get to like work with the coaches see if you fit with them work in the facility see if that feels right to you and so like it can be really powerful as as that but it's is usually not the most efficient way and effective way to get on the radar of division three coaches i usually advise them to go to camps where they're going to get exposure to a lot of division three coaches um, because I think that that's just more, more effective. I, you're a division three head coach. You probably have a better opinion on this than I do. What do you think? Sure. Well, yeah, I think it's completely up to the individual and what they're looking for. There are of course camps where you can go and there's a ton of coaches at uh, many times those camps are crowded with players as well. 
And so you wind up and that, that's one of my biggest goals for our camps is that I want to make it the best experience possible for the two groups involved. Number one being the student athletes. I want them to walk away saying, man, that was a great camp. There were some takeaways that I'll be able to use this upcoming year that are going to help me be a successful football player. And then I also want for whatever other school we're throwing the camp with, I want for them to walk out of here and say, man, that was a great camp. Uh, we want to come back to Whittier next year. And so that's that's big for me. I want to be the most positive and, and great experience possible in a camp environment. And, and that's been accomplished from the, the feedback that I've gotten from our campers as well as our parents. And many times the, I think the, the thing that really stands out to me is that the campers will say, oh, man, this was awesome. I just went to name your camp and uh, and I barely got any reps because you know, either the school only wanted to see a couple of guys and I wasn't one of those guys or there were just so many dudes that I was number 50 in line and I'd go get a rep and go back to the back of the line. So we've had some good numbers at our camps, but I think one of the things that's unique is that we make sure everyone's getting coached up individually and then gets plenty of reps. Yeah, well, it's definitely good to get um, a camp. You know, even if you're going to if you're going to have a lot of athletes there, that you have to accept the fact that not every coach is going to see every kid. Otherwise, you're going to have 50-person lines. Um, and I think if you're if you're a Division three type player, and you but you, and you don't really know yet any schools or like think of them as being any different because it's, you're kind of early on in the process, then just getting in front of like as long as this camp is set up well, where you're just going to get a good look from say ten of those coaches, even if there's a hundred schools there, if you're going to just get a good look from ten of them, that's pretty effective, I think. Sure. No, absolutely. I think one of the things that's unique on the West Coast and where we're at here in Southern California is that there's not a lot of four-year football. You have you know, basically a, your, your Pac-12 teams, you have uh, some Mountain West presence, and, and then you have uh, you know, Patriot League there with University of San Diego. And then outside of that, there's the eight of us here in the Skyac, and, and that's about it. You know, Humboldt State just dropped football. They're up in way up in Northern California. So it's another school here in California at the four-year level that dropped football. So you don't have, whereas perhaps in the Midwest and the East, you can have those camps and, and you wind up with 40 Division two and Division three coaches. And as you know, Nate, you and I have both worked those camps and, and you get a ton of guys and there's a lot of coaching going on. But that's just kind of something that, that doesn't happen out here just because there's not that many schools i see that's interesting um you you brought up like four-year schools, so that leaves the open question of the two-year schools and uh do you guys recruit jucos we do uh we do it's um it's something where you have to be selective about the guys that you're recruiting from there i think a lot of times what what happens is guys out here and and that's one of the things that that you battle is a, a young man can choose to go to a junior college and Quite literally, it'll be a couple hundred bucks for him to go there. So it's and you don't have to have any sort of academic requirements going in. Uh, literally, again, all you have to do is be 18 or have a high school diploma and you can get into a junior college here. And for California residents, actually, it, it can be free your first year even. So uh, from a, a price standpoint, if, if cost is truly the number one thing for a recruit and he's not getting a full scholarship, he's one of the majority of football players out there in the country who's not on full scholarship, then junior college is certainly an avenue he can go. And, and we do look to recruit guys from there. Uh, that, that's something where we're, we're looking to have more success with. We've gotten a couple per year. Uh, I'd like to get a, a few more. 
I think a lot of times you run into some guys who are choosing to go the junior college route because they have this vision in their head. Well, I'm a division one player. I didn't have a division one offer coming out of high school. I'll just go to junior college and then I'll have one. And uh, oftentimes they're kind of D one or bust. And those aren't our kind of guys. You know, we want guys who love playing college football. They can't see themselves going to college without playing. And they also want to get the education, which is here. And so you find that mix. And, and we're pretty thorough in our investigation of uh, the recruitment of junior college guys. But I'm a junior college guy myself. So it's something where uh, we're definitely open to it and, and hoping to get a few more in the door here. Yeah, because it's um, I would imagine that the the JUCO population the people that like that populate the, the those schools are not really like a good fit. Typically, like I'm like thinking like, okay, you need guys that have good grades. So that's like probably cutting out 70%. I don't maybe California JUCOs are different, but the JUCOs I've recruited, that that's cutting out 70% of the kids at the schools. Most of them are like non-qualifiers, let alone like close to a 3.0. Um, right. And then you're looking for guys that probably can afford to go to school like Whittier. And then if they're, if the choice for the athlete coming out of high school was to save all that money, it's probably because Whittier might not be a realistic option financially. So that's like cutting down a certain amount. And then you have guys that are only, like you said, the D one or bus guys, like that is like the three main categories that I put Juco athletes into. It's like, they are the, it's like, those are the reasons to go. And so for them to go two years and then find the fit at a school like Whittier, I mean, they must be out there. So tell me about like what that athlete is like. Yes. So again, the number one thing for him is he has to be comfortable with the fact that you're not a division one guy. You gave it everything that you had and, and even gave it two extra years past high school and division one still isn't knocking on your door. Do you still love the game of football and, and can't see yourself going to school without it? And, and, and so that's really number one for us. And then again, like you said, a guy who academically did the job because we're also going to need his high school transcripts here. So even if a, a guy went and knocked it out of the park academically, junior college wise, that's significantly going to help him. Yeah, and let me pause you for a second because I don't want to get lost on this, but but it's important for people to know that that is not necessarily true for a lot of schools. If you're going to go from a, a JUCO to a Division One school, usually your high school transcript and test scores are wiped out. They're not a part of the fact. They're not factored into the decision. But anyway, keep going. No, yeah, you're you're correct. And and we won't make a decision based on the high school's transcript, but it's something we look at. And, and uh, again, academically, it's important for us that a guy's a great student. And so uh, certainly if he's been extremely successful at the junior college level academically, that's going to help him, no doubt. And if a guy winds up getting a 4.0 over two years there, earns his AA, then we actually have a, a program we've started now just this year with junior colleges, much like the, the California state schools, where there's a guaranteed path to acceptance here at Whittier if they meet this certain path and criteria, uh, regardless of how they did in high school. So it, it's become a little bit easier this year, provided that a guy follows the path and knocks out what he needs to do. Yeah. So it's like, um, so you're looking for the person that was really loves football, really wanted division one and so like was willing to give it that other those next two years of a shot because it mattered to them but it's not d1 or bus and then additionally like perhaps someone who um well almost definitely someone who went to junior college and knocked it out like like academically just was great yes yeah he has to have done a, a great job there in college and 
And uh, that's something that that'll help them out a long way again with the academic merit based piece of it. And, and um, obviously we're, Ideally, because we're only going to get a guy most of the time if he used his full two years at a junior college and perhaps you get a guy after one year wants to transfer out. But if he used both of his years in, in JUCO, then we're going to get him for just two years here. And so we want a guy who academically is going to be on pace to graduate in two years from here as well, rather than be hanging around for a third year because he, he was perhaps just taking some fluff courses. And yeah, that's something you find as well is a lot of the, the JUCOs you have guys whose transcript is littered with PE classes or football classes. And that's something that while I love football and I think there's great value in it, it doesn't necessarily help them academically here. Yeah. I wonder, I do see that a lot. And I wonder what a junior college coach is thinking when they're allowing their athletes to sign up for classes like that. They might be thinking like, this is the athlete's only chance of graduating with their AA degree. And so this is, it's this or nothing's going to work out anyway. Or maybe they're being a little selfish and they're saying, I just want this guy to be eligible for me for two years, even if I know that it's pretty unlikely I'm going to be able to help him to get into a, a four-year school after this. Yeah, obviously, I, I can't speak for them, but um, certainly it's something where I, I just know we don't look at um, any courses other than kind of your core academic courses here. Right, which is like what every college is going to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, like that's, they're not looking at those other classes. They're not looking at them. Um, <laughs> The NCAA for clearinghouse isn't looking at them. Any right. any good academic school I've ever worked at, what they do is they take your transcript, they cross off all of the classes <laughs> that don't count, and exactly. then they add up the A's, the B's, and the C's and calculate their own GPA for you, and then that's that's what they count. So um, yes, so the one hundred percent in weightlifting it doesn't get you very far. <laughs> yeah, I, don't get me wrong, I love weightlifting. It just uh, doesn't hold a lot of water here, or at most schools, as you said. That actually brings up a good question. I, I know when we were at Albright together, you were um, pretty involved in the strength and conditioning program. Um, that, I think, even continued even to a greater extent after I left. Um, how do you handle that with you with your team at Whittier? Yes, yeah, you're, you're spot on. So I, I was uh, previously, when I was at Albright, I, I was actually the, the head strength conditioning coach after you left as well, got fully certified, all that stuff, and and um, got very involved with it. And, and it's a, obviously a huge piece of the puzzle because that's where you get to spend a ton of time with the guys. And obviously the, those hours that you put into the weight room in, in the spring semester and through the summer are what are going to allow you to be competitive in the fall. So something that, that I, I have a passion for and, and obviously am hold extremely in high regard for us here. So we don't have any of our football coaches involved in strength conditioning on a day-to-day -day basis. We have a, a full strength staff here, which is a great tool to have. And so I meet with our strength staff on a pretty regular basis. And I still have my presence in the weight room. I'll poke my head in and and see how things are going. But um, we're fortunate to have a, a good staff of strength coaches who challenge our guys and help them grow from a physical standpoint. Yeah, that's awesome. I was actually just thinking back that when I started at Albright, you know, they started me right away. I was helping the coach in the weight room and I was like, <laughs> I had no business, no business uh, do that. Although, you know, I learned a lot and uh, got to the point where I probably, you know, I got more comfortable. Um, right. But I got to imagine that if I either faked it really well or players were like, what is going on right now? Why is this guy telling me to put more weight on the bench or something like that, right? <laughs> sure. sure. Well, and I think that the great thing is that, it allows when you don't have to have your football staff involved in the weight room, 
uh, from a requirement standpoint or it won't get done. Like, it allows us to spend more time in working with our guys out of the weight room. So whether that be game planning or getting ready for practice or whether it be academically meeting with our guys, whatever it is, it just kind of takes that piece of the puzzle off the table. Yeah, and um, I found that as you go up in divisions, that's one of the big differences is you have more and more of that support staff. And so the mm -hmm. football coaches are doing less like kind of extra things, um, which just allows you to focus your time. I mean, selfishly as a football coach, it allows you to focus on the things that you actually like doing. And well, at least in my case, and for the players, I think it gives them an advantage because you get more time to have like that more, like more one-on-one -on -one interactions. I get more time to develop and, put my players in the best position to win which is ultimately like what they're really interested in getting better being in position to win so um i know i thought that that was a big difference in being at a school where you guys have your own strength staff I'm, and i imagine other support you know that makes a difference so it's, it's cool that you guys have that yeah it's a great advantage for us no doubt is that is that typical in your guys conference or is that a real difference it's school to school. There are several schools that have a, a separate strength staff like us. And I know there are some that, that have the, the football coaches involved or, or some other coach on staff who's also doubling as a strength coach, which is, as you mentioned, pretty common, I think, throughout the, the smaller schools. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask you, for your for your guys' football team, um, how much time are they spending in the weight room, in season, off season, is it same as it was when we were at Albright, or is it pretty different? Yes, it's about the same as you and I had rolling with the guys there at Albright. So in season, we're working out twice a week. You know, those are, are roughly an hour, and then uh, off season, we're working out four days a week in, in the spring. That is uh, from January through May, and uh, those are, are going a little bit longer, probably about an hour and a half. Because uh, we add in, of course, the the speed and agility and conditioning aspect to it, in addition to just the strength training. And this is kind of a totally different topic, but I'm curious. Um, you know, you're a head coach, and uh, I always felt like as an assistant, right? There were guys that I worked with that I wish the head coach would get rid of, right? <laughs> you know, just guys that like either didn't act in a way that I thought was great for being a coach or was lazy or not a good coach or you know maybe they're not lazy and they act right but they're just not good at coaching right i've, I've been around all those things and um i i found that i don't think i've ever been on a staff where a head coach fired an assistant um i think there were situations where assistants like it happens i think in any job where an assistant or someone that works there realizes that there's no path forward because the head coach is basically like or the your boss is like this is not going well and you're getting that constant feedback and so they end up leaving and i've seen that happen a lot um but i imagine it's got to be hard to 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 do that to someone um to let them go if you have you ever been in that position or um how have you handled that or thought about that right well aside from when i took over here yeah, kind of had to, to clean house from that standpoint, but um, at, you know, bringing guys that, that I know or, or guys that I thought were a good fit for where we were going. But from anyone who I hired, um, I have not had to fire anyone. Uh, there have been some that, that haven't worked out, as you mentioned. And I think really what it comes down to is um, you try to hire the, the best person that you can. 
the guy is going to be the best teacher, best coach, best recruiter possible. But uh, no one ever goes 100% and, uh, in their hiring process. And as you do, I, I think sometimes you wind up with some guys who I think a lot of times it's prevalent in society today as well that, that guys think they're doing a great job at their job. And no one wakes up and, and goes to bed and says, man, I, I did a poor job today. I, I really sucked it up at the office. But uh, truth be told, sometimes that guy's not doing his part. And so I, I think that's where it's really big. You know, my job as head coach here is not just to help the young men on our team develop to reach their potential, but also our, our staff to help them grow. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in that as a, a head coach, I should add some value to every member of our team and whether it be player coach or, or support staff, whatever it is. And when I stop adding value to them, it's time for them to move on and, and do something else. But um, they, they should be looking to add value as well. But what I'm looking to do is help them develop to become the best coach possible so they can accomplish whatever their goals are individually in this profession. And uh, as you do that, sometimes you have to be more demanding with some guys than with others. And, and uh, some guys are a little more high maintenance and, and again, maybe unrealistic in, in what they're achieving on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think when, when you put that to people or they think they're entitled to perhaps a raise or, or entitled to have more of a workload and more responsibility. And the answer is just, no, that's not going to be a possibility for you here. You need to get better at this and this first. And you know, those guys tend to leave. Yeah, <laughs> that does, that does work out that way. So it's like, so you haven't, you haven't been to the point where you felt like you had to get rid of uh, a staff member. What about a player? A player, the great question. And it's something where I look at it like this. When I recruit a young man into our football program, uh, I'm making a commit. It's a two-way commitment. He's committing and hopefully owns up to it that he's making a four-year commitment to be the best student athlete he can here at Whittier. I'm making a commitment to him and his family that, that I'm going to help that young man grow and be the best version of himself that he can as a person, student, athlete. And at that point, we're like family. And it's no different than if you have a, a child, you can't fire your kid and cut them from the family because they got an F in school or because they did something knucklehead like when they were a teenager. You can't say that's it. You're out of the family. And so that's how I view our football program is that it's my job to get them to continue to develop and grow. And I, I can't fire them and just say, that's it, you're gone. It's my job to use whatever it is as a life lesson to help them grow, to help them develop, and again, get them to continue to, to be better every single day while they're here. So as far as you're concerned, there's nothing an athlete could do that would make you want to kick them off the team. It basically, it either comes from the athletic department, and as long as the athletic department or the school is, is keeping them, you'll, you'll keep them. Well, I mean, I, there are a few, and largely it's illegal stuff. Yeah. If some guy is involved in, in, and we haven't had this issue, but certainly our two program rules on when I would cut ties with the guy or, or if he doesn't always tell the truth, because that's number one thing I think in any relationship, whether it be friends, family, significant others, coach to player, player to player, player to coach, is you have to have trust. I think that's a foundation of all relationships. So we want to always tell the truth here and, uh, and put the program in the best light. And there's a, a really a zero tolerance for drugs as well. So anything kind of illegal, now that, that's a, a different course of action, but many times that's going to result in dismissal from the school anyway. Yeah. The, the, 
the thing is you don't really have to think about those cases because the athletic exactly. department or the school really cover those for you. So, so, I mean, it sounds like you have like um, a philosophy around telling the truth and, and building trust that, that you think is foundational. I mean, I got to imagine that 18 year old, 19 year olds, they do lie. Right. And you got to be catching guys not telling the complete truth all the time. I can't imagine that it's always grounds for dismissal. Right. So how do you think, I mean, you have to have had a case. So like, how do you, how do you handle that? How do you, you try to like, is there like a point in which you would cut off, you know, someone that they're just a liar and can't be trusted? Or how do you think about that? Sure. Well, I think ultimately, and this is why, again, it it always comes back to the recruiting process and finding the the right people for your program. And one of the things that's extremely important to us is that a guy is very passionate about football, because if he's passionate about football, then I can have a greater influence on him than if he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And what it comes down to, and and again, coming back to trust, as we just talked about, we'll talk about it in terms of a, a trust account, similar to a bank account, where every action you're doing you're either depositing trust or, or you're withdrawing trust. And if I can't trust you to be in class, if I can't trust you to tell me the truth, then how can I trust you on fourth and one? I can't put you on the field. And if that guy is passionate about football, he wants to be on the field. And so he's going to more times than not do things the right way. And again, none of us are perfect. We're not asking for perfection from our student athletes, but as a guy's made enough trust deposits, he he has a a plus account then. And so if he makes a mistake, it doesn't mean that I can't trust that guy. It means he screwed up and we'll get it right and, and, and work on the next day. But, um, for a freshman coming in, he's got a zero balance. And so if he comes in and he's late to the first team meeting, and then he lies to me about why he did it. Well, that guy's starting behind the eight ball and uh, he's already in the negative and we haven't even gotten rolling yet. But that's going to be a tough and longer path for that guy to get on the field. And again, if, if he's passionate about football, then he's going to work to make that right. And, and uh, again, everyone comes to us with different maturity levels, different uh, levels of where they've been as a person as well. Some guys are, are more developed when they show up here at 18 years old. Some guys have a ways to go. And so you have to take that into account as well. But as long as a guy is committed to getting better and you can see that development, then we're going to be okay. We can work with that. So what do you think the hardest part is of being a head coach as opposed to being an assistant coach? Yes. Great question. So certainly there's a lot of of different challenges to to being a head coach. I'd say uh, the number one thing is probably how little time as opposed to being a, a position or a coordinator, how little time you get to spend with actual football stuff and how much of your time spent with non-true football stuff. And uh, it comes with the chair, obviously, but that uh, that's something that I, I think is unique. And, and you find out, you hear about it, but when you, you get that head coaching job and and you sit down in that seat, then it's like, all right, you know, we're <laughs> we're working on this, 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 and this to start the day, and and not one of it's about X's and O's. And what are the things that are filling up your day that aren't X's and O's? Well, you just, again, you're responsible for literally everyone within your program, from players to coaches, you name it. And so there's just a a lot of meetings that you have to take part in that as an assistant or as a coordinator, you don't have to because uh, you're not in charge of the program. And so there's just a a lot of things that that you, you wind up having to sit in on that perhaps as a position or coordinator, you didn't have to. So it's like, um, more meetings with people within the team or actually like having to meet with people outside of the team that that aren't that that don't help, 
people, other coaches don't have that responsibility? I'd say both. It's really both. And whether it be, you know, young man who I have to meet with because he missed something, whether it be academically or athletically, or again, I have to challenge a young man to, to help him grow. He's not holding up his end of the bargain or, or whatever it is, his commitment that he made to us. You have to meet with players regularly. And there's probably almost every day I'm, I'm meeting with players who, when you're a, a position coach, you're only meeting with your position guys. If you're coaching the DBs as, as you were, then you're you're not worried about the running backs. You, know, you don't have to meet with those guys for any reason. If I'm an offensive or defensive or special teams coordinator, I don't have to meet with the guys on the other side of the ball, those players. Um, meeting again just with the coaching staff as well. It's one thing where as a coordinator, you meet with coaches on your side of the ball, but head coach, obviously, you have to meet with all three phases. And um, and then, of course, all the off field stuff would be academic meetings, whether it be uh, retention meetings, whether it be admissions meetings. There's, there's just a lot of stuff that comes up. Yeah. What I remember in my brief stint, which I barely want to call, count it, but in my brief stint as being a head coach uh, for the Australia team, what I what I remember really sticking out to me is how much everyone needs your time. Like you are the person that can solve their problem. And so they have to come to you. And I remember being like, as an assistant coach, it's like, yeah, I need to stop by my head coach's office like every other week with something that I need them for. Um, but then you multiply that by a hundred, right? Because there's between the staff and the players, like you get, you you just have people walking in and out of your office all day. Like that's like that's your day. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and that's the thing. I love getting in here early. I I typically get a pretty early start to my mornings because that's when I can be productive and do stuff that I need to get done, whether it be football related or uh, actual on field, I should say, or something else. Because like you said, just during the day, I mean, my door is almost always open. And uh, as it is, people are, are coming in and out pretty regularly. So it, it's something where you think you have all this time and then it, it gets taken. And are you doing the, the offensive coordinator job as well? Yes. So uh, the past two seasons, 17 and 18, I, I was the primary play caller for us offensively as well. And um, how how do you balance that? Or yeah, I guess first, how do you balance that with the other responsibilities? Well, fortunately, I, I think I have some some great assistants offensively as well who who help us out and from a game planning standpoint. And everyone has their own responsibilities as far as game planning and scouting report, and they do a great job of uh, being detailed with that information and. And then, um, again, the, the good thing that, that I have going from a professional standpoint is that I have nothing but time right now. And uh, so it's something that allows me to, to spend the time on, on what's needed. And certainly right now where we're at, that's um, me handling the offensive play calling duties. So instead of like a lot of head coaches, they have head coaching responsibilities and husband and dad responsibilities. You just substitute the offensive coordinator for that second job. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that that is that is a fun job calling the plays. And I think head coaches really struggle with giving that up because it is it's hard to do both well. Um, but I, you know, D3 programs, a lot of times you don't have much of a choice because you don't have you know, it's it's hard to keep an experienced staff at a division three school because of the salaries and and all that. Um, what are you guys running on offense? Uh, offensively, we're. 
really a, a multiple style. We're, we're going to change up personnel's formations, you name it, trade shifts, motions, kind of depends on what our roster is looking like that year. So it allows us to be multiple, but primarily we're, we're zone and gap or power concepts, you know, play action package off each one of them. And then we have a handful of screens we'll employ and, and then uh, some quick pass game and, and some five-step stuff as well. And, you know, we'll get into some of your choice or as everyone's calling them RPOs now, whatever you want to call that as well. But we really have the ability to run just about anything. We can kind of tailor make it to what our personnel dictates us to be successful at. And are you guys out of the gun and running a bunch of read or is you guys, are you guys mostly under center? We'll get under center, but uh, we're spending more time in the gun now. Uh, you and everyone else? <laughs> just about. Hey, what's your conference like? Is it a bunch of spread teams or is it a lot of power teams? Uh, most of the teams are, are spread-ish, and then there's uh, there's probably one team that uh, is a little bit more your two, three tight ends, kind of that that uh, personnel package. But yeah, most of the teams are, are spreading it out somewhat. I see. Do you um, what's your philosophy behind the offense and defenses that you choose to run? How do you how do you how do you come up with that? Great question. It's something where I want to do something that allows us to have some flexibility to take advantage of what we can do well. And as you know, having having coached, it changes year to year. There are some years where perhaps offensively you're you're returning some all conference skill position guys and and up front you're a little young, or perhaps you're returning all your linemen, but you got a rookie signal caller or whatever it may be. So I think it, the flexibility is the key. Some years, maybe defensively, you have some guys who can uh, excel at man coverage, and, and some years, perhaps their skill set are, are better suited towards some zone concepts. So it really just kind of depends on on what you can do, and uh, that changes year to year. So I, I think having the flexibility rather than sticking the, the old square peg through the round hole, and this is what we do, uh, it, it can really be helpful for us. Yeah, I find uh, defensively, your the ability of your corners drive what you can run. And, yes. And offensively, it's your quarterback, right? I mean, like you're lying a little bit, but really your quarterback. Is that is that yes. how you see it? Yeah, I think in the secondary, it's key. What do we have? Do we have safeties who can cover a ton of field space? And do we have corners who can run with guys? Or are they physical corners or whatever it might be? I think part of it, too, and and – I think it happens across all levels of football is you can never have enough D linemen. Those guys up front are, are extremely hard to find. And yeah, I don't know if anyone really outside of Alabama is ever really pumped about uh, the, the number of D linemen they're involved with in the recruiting process, you know? So it, it's something where uh, that can ha have an effect too. And I, I think that uh, you're finding more and more teams that at least in our conference are kind of going to three true down linemen and then, finding a, a different way to bring a fourth or fifth guy uh, who has a different skill set because uh, the, the true D linemen are, are just becoming more and more rare to find. And then offensively, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be your, your quarterback who is uh, the guy who dictates what you can do well. Yeah, I always thought about that as a corners coach. Like, if you're a D line coach, your eighth best player is getting into the game and playing, you know, meaningful number of snaps. <laughs> I was like, if my eighth best corner was ever going into the game, I would be horrified. Oh, absolutely. It's like, absolutely. That, but that's, that's what you're dealing with when you're a D line coach. You just got to coach, you got to coach them all. And you got to get like a little bit out of even the guys that are, that are ways away from really being able to help. You got to get some snaps out of them and give other guys rest. And that is just like, 
That that is brutal. You know, D line oh, yeah. coaches, coaches have a different job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now you, you nailed that one, and certainly their their grade sheets a little more filled out than uh, coaching some other positions as well with all those dudes getting on the field. Oh yeah, they have a they have a longer list of names. That that is definitely true. <laughs> um, oh man, I wanted to ask you. Now it's blanking on me, but um, so. So you guys are multiple on offense. Defensively, you were a defensive coordinator. How involved do you stay with that? I stay pretty involved. Uh, fortunately, uh, we have a, a defensive coordinator who I actually coached with at Albright after you had left, but um, a guy who I, I trust, and um, we have a, a great defensive staff as well. So um, I'm very involved with it, and I'm not coaching a position defensively, obviously, but uh, I'm still meeting a couple times with our defensive coordinator per week and uh, going over things. And you know, the great thing is, too, I, I think, and it's something that, that is really a, a must to be on my staff, is I want guys with no ego. And uh, it doesn't matter whose idea it is. And, and so I'll poke my head into the defensive staff room all the time. But, hey, guys, like I saw this uh, on film or, hey, I, I was watching. I don't get to watch a practice film with our defensive staff, but I'll watch the film and kind of go in there for a few minutes to, to sum it up and say, hey, I saw this or that. And, you know, it's one of, <laughs> one of the things that gets me about our profession is we tend to focus on the negative. Right. You have. 10 plays and one went wrong, you watch that for that wrong play first. So I'll go in with kind of uh, some things or, or poke some holes in some ideas that we have and whatever else it is. But so I, I stay pretty involved. I've always found that teams that I've worked on, it's been hard for a coordinator and a head coach to work together in that way. That relationship always seems strained to me because the head coach might suggest something and the coordinator feels a pressure like they pretty much have to do it. That's like their boss telling them what to do. Um, but I imagine the head coach really doesn't want it to be that way. Although if they don't do it and it and it doesn't go well, it's like they'll, they won't forget it. So how do you, as a head coach, make that work, that relationship? Sure. I, I think it, it's, you're right, kind of a, a touchy thing that can happen because uh, the coordinator on whatever side he, he's spending all his time working on that and, and getting that side of the ball ready and the head coach who's not involved with that side full time and he just comes in and says hey let's do this or on the sideline let's make this adjustment whatever it is and it's kind of like come on dude really but uh yeah it, it's something where i think we all have to understand first that we're all on the same team we're all trying to make things work for our betterment and that, hey, a lot of times if I'm going to say something, it's because I've been in this situation, I've been in this experience, and I've seen this happen, and this has worked for me in the past. I'm not just spitballing or throwing ideas out there. Hey, let's give this a shot. You know, if I say something, it's because I'm pretty sure this this will get the job done if something we're struggling with or, or something that could help us from a game plan standpoint. And so if you're suggesting something, is your expectation that your coordinator will do it or is your expectation that your coordinator will consider it and make their own decision? Um, how do you, what, what is, what is your expectation? I'd say my expectation is that it's going to be heavily considered and if not followed through with, then there better be something better in place that I'm going to need explained to me. Right. So like, I think that is the, the hard spot that you are in as a coordinator is that, is that, um, it's not even if you think that that you might have a better idea, it's it's not even worth doing because, as you know, like who knows what idea will ultimately end up working and not working. It's all kind of you know, it's not a crapshoot, but it's 
Right. You know, you don't know, and you'd rather you'd rather fail with the head coach's idea than your own having gone against them. It's just not worth it as a as a coordinator. So, I, I would imagine that as a head coach, you'd want you'd want them to be able to stand up and like not not fight you, but at least like help to come to a good like conclusion together on really the best approach forward. Um, so I don't, I I imagine that's hard to do. Absolutely, and I I think. I like to think anyway, I guess we'd have to ask my staff, but I think I'm pretty open to ideas, concepts, whatever they might be. But uh, again, it's just something where you have to have a, a reason for it. And no one of us knows everything, obviously. And that's why we're all continually trying to, to grow and learn and develop in our profession also. But um, I, I may not know something or someone else from a, another background may have a, another experience. And so I, I like to think I'm pretty open to new things. But uh, again, sometimes we're going to need to be convinced of that as well. Yeah. Well, I think that that is, uh, that is the balance you're trying to strike being both assertive and open-minded at the same time to get, get, you know, get, getting to the best decision. I mean, that's what you said. You said, ultimately it's one team trying to accomplish one goal and, uh, and there's different ways to get there and some are better than others. And just trying to struggle through that together and struggle through it well. Right. hundred percent. So, um, I guess before before we cut you know cut loose and and uh, and call it a day, um, I want to know what advice would you give to a student athlete or a parent of one or a high school coach trying to advise someone on how to go through the recruiting process? What do you think that people aren't doing that they should be doing? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, just briefly, as we kind of talked about earlier, get the best grades you can. It's going to have as many options as possible for you if you're doing the job academically. But as far as I think you're asking about like getting yourself recruited, things like that. So to, to, to get to that standpoint, again, kind of find schools that, that fit what you're looking for if you haven't heard from them and find out which schools you may be suited for. And I think that that's a big thing, too. A lot of people aren't realistic with uh, with what they're capable of doing and and um, then identify those schools and reach out to them. It's something where I love getting an email from a guy and, and make it personalized, too, and make sure when you personalize it that it's right. You know, if you're sending it to me, say, hey, Coach Neal, I'm, I'm interested in Whittier College, not, hey, Coach Jones, I'm interested in School X, you know, because sometimes you get that stuff from just the, the mass mail merge things. So drop a personalized email out and uh, whatever it may be and, and reach out to that coach or to that staff and, and know who you're reaching out to as well. Because I think a lot of times what happens is, and again, as head coach, like I get I get a ton of emails every day. My inbox just gets flooded and the head coach isn't recruiting every school out there. And certainly I'm actually out on the road. I, I recruit, but not all head coaches do. So find out as much as you can, who's responsible for recruiting you at that school you're interested in. And, and again, get them all your information. Also be a, as thorough as possible in everything from your social media to your film that you send out. I mean, there's nothing I love seeing more than kind of a, a very mature social media where it has a guy's name and has his school, his position, his GPA, all of his things are right there on his profile or on his, uh, his film as well at the intro list all that stuff so that a coach doesn't have to wonder because a lot of times it's like oh man i love this film 
what's the kid's GPA or, or how do I contact him? Throw your email or cell phone or whatever it is in there so that people can get in touch with you. I think that that's huge. And, you know, when you have something that, hey, my, my Twitter handle is beast, you know, well, that, that's great. Beast. I don't even know what school you go to, you know. So and, and a lot of times I get the email, too, that quite literally it won't even have a subject and all it'll have in the the. Uh, in the the bulk of the email is just a link to their huddle. That's it. Not hey coach, just huddle.com slash whoever kid. You know, man, be a little more personal in the approach. And I think when you do that, I'm I know that I'm going to, and I feel most coaches that I know as well are going to at least give a look to an email that's certainly been something that a young man has put some time and effort into. Hey, Coach Neal, I'm interested in Whittier College. I'd love to be considered for your 2019 class, whatever it is. Here's a little bit about myself. Well, I'm going to read that email. I'm going to click on that link. Yeah, I find um, I find that that's feedback I get a lot from Division three coaches is send me an email, but make it actually a real email that shows me that you're interested. I think I think there's something about the Division three recruiting process where you you just want you want to start with guys that that are serious about maybe going to Whittier College one day, and that that makes them worth ten times the amount of time for you because you're not just like shooting, you know, you're you're not just like going out there and watching every huddle film. You're watching someone's film who you already know like has spent the time and is at least in, interested in Whittier College and wasn't just like a coach's name, email, and a spreadsheet that got sent to mail merge to. Absolutely. And sometimes you see in the, the address up top, it'll have 400 coaches email addresses there. And it's like, all right, dude, come on. Who, who didn't you send this to? You know, it's got everyone from us to USC and everyone in between. And it's like, all right, who are you interested in? Because uh, uh, certainly you sent it to every coach in the country. So yeah. and that's a bit like you said, too, like if it's a, a kid from across the country, right, if he's out east like you are there, are you really interested in Whittier? You know where we're at? And a lot of times I'll follow up with a guy, just quick email. Hey, yeah, you know, are you interested in Whittier? What do you know about us? Oh, well, where are you guys? Well, you should have answered that question before you sent it to me. You should know we're in Southern California at least. So, yeah, just do your diligence and be professional as a recruit as well. Yeah, it's like um, that mass approach, I think, really turns off a lot of D3 coaches. Um, Absolutely. And I think for D2 and D1 coaches, I think that, I don't know D2, but I would say D1, I think like either one of those approaches is probably not going to go that well. Um, right. I would say like have your high school coach send send the email to a Division One coach uh, or have your or have them call or text as a D1 coach because the, the amount of mail that's coming into the D1 coaches is just, it's too much. Um, but they're always going to look at something or I think mostly going to look at something that comes from a high school coach for sure. Absolutely. Um, but you touched on something else there that I, I think like is totally reasonable advice and I think like everyone could agree to it, but it's probably hard for athletes to follow practically, which is to be realistic. Um, at least I heard that in what you said. How do, how do you practically, you're put yourself in the shoes. You're a senior in high school or junior in high school and you know, you're good. Like you start for your team and um, your team's really good and you got selected all conference and you're pretty fast and whatever, you know, like you've always been like one of the best athletes that you've known. Um, how do you know if you're going to USC or Whittier or nowhere or somewhere, you know, how do you know? Absolutely. Now, that's a great question. And one that uh, there's not a hundred percent answer to obviously, but, uh, that being said, I, I think the recruiting process is getting so early 
nowadays as well with guys being offered sophomore, junior year, uh, the early sign date obviously coming up here in a couple weeks now, guys taking their official visits in the, the summer months or, or late spring months, whatever you want to call them there as well, their junior heading into senior year. So it, for the most part, guys who are, are getting full scholarships are getting them earlier than ever. And I think the biggest thing is if you don't have a full scholarship offer and you're a, a junior and heading into your senior year, just keep your options open. You know, and I'll be the first guy to say it. if you wind up um, getting a full scholarship somewhere, man, take that scholarship and go and best of success to you. And, and uh, I'll wish you nothing but the best on the way out the door. But keep your options open. And uh, certainly then you can find the one that is the best fit for you because there are a lot of good schools, a lot of good football programs at all levels and places that may be a great fit for you that uh, you just either aren't aware of or you're not willing to explore for whatever reason. So until you, those full offers start rolling in, just keep your options open and, and explore a school to see if it could be the right fit for you. Yeah, I think that that is um, self-attrive. I always tell guys, like, if you don't have two scholarship offers, you have to have two. If you don't have two scholarship offers, you should be finding the schools that you like the most at each division level. Right. You should like pick a couple and like start pursuing them. And then I think like you will start to feel I don't know how much you can be that that uh, reasonable um, for yourself. But like you will start to feel if you're pursuing schools, what level like is appropriate for you. Um, but I also find that like there's like this other part of it, which is there are so many schools. There's so many athletes that they could send their film to every division one school. And one of them would like them or a couple of them would like them. And so like, how do you know if you're just, you just haven't reached out to the right school yet or, or if you're just not, if you're not a D1 guy, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to get athletes to, to figure that out. Yeah. And I don't know that again, there's a solid rule to that, but uh, again, if you're not getting any sniffs from any, scholarship schools you know, if you're not getting uh out here in southern california if you're not getting talked to about potentially even being a, a preferred walk-on somewhere uh within the pac-12 or mountain west or or uh you know whatever else one double a levels out here then it's going to be tough for you to, to hold on to that desire to be a division one football player and, and wait for that scholarship. And as we know, you know, boards blow up all the time. And, and after the first sign date, your schools will kind of regroup and, and figure out who they, they got, who they planned on and, and who they need to go back on and whatever else it may be at their individual institution. But uh, for the most part, by this time of year, especially, I think you have some great advice there. Start exploring some schools and, and uh, you know, see what could be the best option for you. Yeah, I guess that that's true. It's like, even if you would only get the scholarship from the one or two of the schools, there's at least dozens of others that like have you on their maybe lists and like right. enough on their maybe list where you are getting recruited by them, even if you haven't been offered by them. And so like, if yep. you can't, if you can't get onto someone's maybe list, meaning like that they're calling you and they're, they're like directly reaching out to you on social media and you know, I guess texting and, you know, like if they're not like, bringing out that communication every, at least at least every now and again at least a couple of times like a season you know like even every four weeks or something like that that's like 
they're keeping you alive because they can see a scenario where they might one day offer you a scholarship letter. Um, if you're not even getting that, then I think like you're probably you're probably too far away. Um, the probably the bigger problem comes from the guys that are getting that and are confusing it for I am right around the corner for a scholarship offer when really sure. you are the you are the five percent scenario where the things really fall apart. Or even like it could happen the other way where an athlete is kind of like far down on the list, but I'm going to watch the athlete's senior year film and the senior year film, sometimes it comes back and it surprises you to the upside. And then all of a sudden you're recruiting a guy that you weren't, you know, that serious about before and you're offering him a scholarship. So it couldn't happen that way too. Yeah. But um, I think that that is, that is the deal is, is like, that's the hard part. And I think a lot of athletes confuse that interest for close to an offer. And then they're like, well, I don't have to bother with, you know, USC is going to offer me, right? They right. haven't yet. They're going to offer me, so I don't have to bother. And that's the big mistake. And that's when you have to really explore. Because um, I'm sure you guys get guys that get recruited by USC, but, you know, like there, it's a pretty loose version of the word recruiting. Right. Yeah. It's always kind of what you decide is, is being recruited. Did you get one letter? You know, did, did you get an email or, or uh, you know, whatever the case may be. So certainly an individual decision for, for each young man. But I think uh, a couple things. One, it's always greater to have more options than too few because then ultimately you can choose the one that's right for you. And, and secondly, you want to go someplace that wants you, I think is big. You know, that, that school that is barely calling you, even if you can wind up going out for the football team there they don't want you you're just a body so it's about going to the place that that, that wants you and that you can be a good fit at and and again you can be a, a four or potentially five-year member of that school that campus and that football program as well because you want to try to avoid as much as possible in my opinion that uh, that whole transfer thing and and uh, that'll set you back academically and and find that right fit right out of the gate yeah and um that actually brings me back to your personal experience. You guys, you, you went to, like you said, you went to junior college. And then from what I remember, you might have to fill in some of the gaps here in my memory, but you went to Southeast Missouri State after that. Right? Southwest Missouri State. Southwest now, Missouri State. Okay. Yeah, it's just Missouri State. Not yet, now. now it's just Missouri State. Okay, that's right. right. All right. So so you went there, which as a California kid must have been a bit of a shock. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so you went there and I believe that they had you on scholarship or at least something, something of that nature. And from what I remember, like you did not have a positive experience there. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And what do you think you did wrong or would you do differently now knowing what you, all the things that you know now um, to make that have turned out better? Sure. Well, yeah, I did. Uh, you're right. I went the, the junior college route. Um, you know, I missed the majority of my senior year due to injury. And uh, as a result, went to the, the junior college level. And, and um, after that was kind of, Figuring out where to go, which opens up a, a whole nother. I think that's one of the, the tricky things about going the two year route is you go through the recruiting process then again and uh, didn't know a, a whole lot about the recruiting process myself at the time either and wasn't even aware of, say, Whittier or the Skyac conference being even around and um, hadn't even been contacted or, or known of any of those schools that, that are currently in our conference. So was exploring options that were outside of the area obviously and and yeah wound up going somewhere which was a fine football program no doubt about it but perhaps not the best fit for me and and think uh, probably would have had a better experience at, at a, a school 
similar to probably where we're at here in the Skyac, but didn't know that it was even an option at that point. What do you think it was that made you not know that it was an option? I, I don't know. And, and again, this was you know, years ago now, <laughs> but uh, I mean, let, let me count the years. Yeah, it's like 20-ish years or so, but uh, I, I don't know if schools just weren't recruiting at uh, I mean, the, the junior college I went to, uh, Grossmont College in San Diego. We were very successful at the time, and we were putting a lot of guys out, but no, no one on the team was even being recruited by anyone in the Skyac. So I don't know if, if schools just in, in our conference weren't recruiting down uh, in the JUCO levels or, or what it was, but for whatever reason, I, I just had no knowledge. And I think it's something too. being born and raised in San Diego. Uh, there is only, there are only two four year schools playing football in San Diego. You have San Diego state obviously, and, and university of San Diego, and that's it. So even though the, the sky act as close as we are, roughly two hours, depending where you live and, and which school you go to here, uh, two hour drive or so, and of course, depending on traffic, but y you also, um, don't know anything about them as a San Diego kid. And so you could have mentioned any of those schools that are in our conference, and I hadn't heard of them at that point. And uh, I think none of my teammates had either. So it was just kind of a, a unique situation there. Gosh, it's like it is so often that the story I'm told is I went to that school to play football because that's the coach that called me. It is like <laughs> I feel like that is the story. That is like why people – and like I wish – I wish I knew that more as, as a coach when I was recruiting to know yeah. like how big of an impact. I mean, ultimately, I guess like every athlete that went to the school I was coaching at pretty much went there because I called them. Um, sure. So there is like, I guess that was always real to some extent, but it just feels like like athletes and parents, they have no idea what the options are. And so they just kind of like, they let their options get filled by whatever people leave messages for them on the machine. Absolutely. No, that's a, a great point. And I think a, a big thing is too, you know, as, as looking back at, as a high school and or junior college recruit is utilize your entire coaching staff as well, because it may not be just your head coach, but some of your assistant coaches may have gone to a school or, or played collegiately somewhere where they think you'd be a good fit. But just because you play wide receiver and the D-line coach in your high school, you don't talk to a whole lot. You're not around him uh, very often. And, but he may be like, hey, dude, you'd be a great fit at this school or to play in this conference. And I go, really, where's that? You know, and, and so um, yeah, you see it happen every year. You're exactly right. It's, it's just, yeah, they, they called me or a coach recommended this school. And, and that was it. Yeah, I wonder if there's any good resources out there for athletes um, to just like type in what they're like in some way, you know, like select some options and then for it to spit out some schools to at least get started with to help them narrow down their search and, and like send those personalized emails to those few places um, just to help them direct. Because there's just got to be so many schools that they've never heard of that could that is probably the, be the best fit for every athlete is probably a school they never heard of, you know, and yes. might not ever hear of in, ever, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, that was kind of my experience. It was, you know, my position coach in, in junior college, he uh, he gave me a, a list. He, he coached all over the place and he, he gave me a list of like every NCAA school and checked off like five. And he's like, these are the five that I think you could play at and that I know some people at. And 
we can get the ball rolling. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. You know? And, and that, uh, that was it. So I, I think of course now with the, the internet, great invention, right? That you can get out there and, and you can do a lot more research on your own individually and, um, and see some things that perhaps I wouldn't have had access to back in the dark ages, but, uh, it's something where be be proactive about it and, and do your research, talk to people and talk to, to guys who've gone out and, and gone to school and, and come back. Because a lot of times you wind up as well, as, as you know, the, the vast majority of young men who start playing college football don't finish. So there's a good chance that someone on your high school team went away to a school and came back. Well, what did he learn? What did he like? What didn't he like? And, and why didn't it work out for him there? And how can I grow from his experience so I don't make that same mistake and and be at a place that I'm going to be comfortable at for four years? And I think, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, too, it happens a lot specifically, I think, with Southern California kids. You go away somewhere else and it sounds good. And, and then uh, you come back for Christmas over Christmas break and man, it's 70 degrees and you, you barely got out of the airport because there was ice on the ground. And and then you, you, a couple weeks later, you're going back to it and do some winter conditioning out in it as well. And it's like, man, what, what the heck am I doing out here? So, uh, you know, find that best fit for you. Yeah. I um, It's one of the unfortunate things about this podcast is the people that are listening to it in a lot of ways are the people that least need the advice, right? Because like they're the ones that are being proactive right? The sure. advice is to be proactive and to learn and to, to get what you, you should be getting out of it. And, you know, this will be helpful to them. But um, to the extent that they can talk to their friends and uh, get more people to be proactive um, and learn what it is that you are looking for and what it is that you like and and building those connections with the coaches at those schools, that's what you need to do to get the best experience. Absolutely. Well, cool, Mike. Thanks so much. Um it was awesome having you on, and uh, we will do this again. My pleasure. Thank you, Nate, and look forward to it. All right, go Poets. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. Mike's a great coach and a better guy. I really loved the time I spent coaching with him. And when he got the opportunity to rebuild the Whittier program, to be honest, I was tempted to join him. Um, they're overcoming a lot, but I really believe with Mike at the helm, his players and coaches are going to be working hard and having fun. But... uh. Thanks for listening, and if you find our content valuable, share it. Support from you guys is what makes it possible to even continue to provide this helpful and free content to all of our listeners. Until next time, bye.